Welcome to the Gridiron Show. Will Gavin, Ollie Hunter in the studio alongside me. And today's show, some interviews from back on Radio Row as we look at the current state of the NFL. Head of Football Operations Executive VP Troy Vincent joins the show and the Managing Director of NFL UK, Alistair Kirkwood. What will help a team move to London? What are they going to do about officiating this off-season? Plus, the latest head coaching, all coming up on the show. Gridiron on Twitter, go to our iTunes page, give us a rating, all that good stuff that we talk about at the end of the show. Let's do it right at the top. Will Gavin, Ollie Hunter, having both just recovered from a week of horrendous man flu. Plane flu. Play- I don't know if I'm blaming it on the plane. Plane flu. I think I was feeling ill before I got on the plane. I wasn't particularly feeling ill. Maybe I got on the plane and passed it round everyone from my slightly more legroom seat <laughs> up in premium economy. Which was worth the 8,000 air miles. 7,000, thank you. Was it 7,000? Okay. <laughs> Which I think translates to about 70 quid. I'm not sure exactly, but... You know, it is what it is. I had a decent amount of sleep on the way back and then still felt rough for five days. So. That's the main thing. That's the main thing. <laughs> <laughs> Could I have survived in a normal seat? Absolutely. <laughs> Especially if had you had Grimble's seat where Grimble didn't have anyone sat next to him on the aisle. He, get to, he got to shimmy over. I miss Grimble. Do you know what? I miss Grimble as well. He's not been in work. Yeah, this is the worst part. So we're recording this Monday morning in the midst of our Extra Time show on a Monday morning, which, you know, for the last 22 weeks has had live NFL in it. And now it's just me and Ollie chatting about nonsense, like our favourite film trilogies. Uh, What's been your favourite of the Patriots trilogy wins that you've seen? So... uh, There you go. <laughs> Which is my favourite Patriots trilogy, the first or the second? Is that your question? Yeah, I it, don't know. <laughs> it's got to undoubtedly be the first trilogy, because at least they were underdogs back then. Yeah, sure, OK. Uh, and also, I didn't have to witness it in person. Uh, brilliant Darren Bent earlier coming on. After every other footballer we've ever spoken to in the history of time uh, about the NFL, Christian Fuchs and Harry Kane and, and Asmir Begovic all love the Patriots. They love Tom Brady. They love what they've done. Great to hear Darren Bent just basically go, I hate the Patriots. I'm bored of it. Uh, I didn't enjoy the Super Bowl because of it. We should make it a sound drop. Yeah, okay. I yeah. can make that happen. All right, good. I'm not going to do it now. But no, I, no, no, no. Don't do it now. At a future date, Never we'll make now. it happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, coming up on the show today, Managing Director of NFL UK, Alistair Kirkwood, sat down with myself, Ollie and Matt Sherry for a full half an hour. It was great as well. It was really, really great to break down so much stuff from uh, the games coming up to London, ticket concerns for fans, how they're going to handle that this season, whether the new stadium they're confident is going to be ready in time, how close we are to a franchise coming over. All those big questions are going to be answered by Alistair plus we've got Troy Vincent who is the executive well obviously former cornerback of the Philadelphia Eagles but also the executive vice president of football operations for the NFL and a member and a former head of the NFL Players Association as well so a unique aspect on what the next CBA is going to look like is there a chance that we could see a lockout coming up for the CBA Mm -hmm. is he confident there won't be what do they need to negotiate in the CBA to get a team over to London? And also this summer, what they're going to do about uh, the overtime rules, what they're going to do about the uh, officiating problems after the hit in the Saints game, which led to the Rams going to the Super Bowl instead of the New Orleans Saints because it wasn't flagged. Honestly, it was a fascinating conversation. Troy Vincent was brilliant. And he also promised at the end of it, 
that we could send a British journalist over. Apparently, they let five or six journalists sitting on the competition committee every year. They said that we could send over a British journalist to go and sit on it. I think that if one of you or I go... Matt Sherry's going to be absolutely livid. But I have emailed uh, the head of communications for the NFL, who has sat alongside Troy Vincent when he said this, saying, by the way, I'm absolutely up for this. I'll make sure it gets write-ups in the newspapers like the yeah. Times and stuff. If we can make this happen, let's make it happen, because it'd be such a unique and different opportunity. It would be fascinating. And when he said, we'll get a British journalist over, the hurt on Matt Sherry's face when he was just looking at you directly down the lens and saying, I want you to come over. Not a British journalist. I want you, Will Gavin, to come over. I mean, this esteemed journalist to come over and represent the whole of the United Kingdom. But I'm, I want, no, I'm, I'm, very good at, I'm very good at PR. Nay, I'm the a great whole schmoozer. of Europe. Nay, there won't be a non-American journalist there. The whole of the world, including Canada... I want you, Will Gavin. Matt Sherry still hasn't... We, no, no one's heard from him since. So, <laughs> Oh, I miss Matt Sherry pray as for well. Sherry. That's, that's uh, the first time I've ever felt that post-Super Bowl. He's clearly growing on me. Uh, there is going to be no Grimble wisdom in this show because he's not come back into work yet. But we are fully intending to get a weekly he's back tomorrow. moment of Grimble to... wisdom. When are we posting this? I'm literally going to post this as soon as we're done. I'm yeah, going to get the interviews okay. in there and I'm going to post it. We should have got something from him on WhatsApp. Yeah, it's now, uh, what, like 3.15 in the morning. So I imagine he's not awake, but drop him a message. And on the off chance, maybe there'll be a little a little thimble of brimble at the end of the show. <laughs> That's what we should call it. <laughs> it's 100% what that feature is now called, a thimble of brimble. Um, so we've got those two coming up on the show. Uh, one bit of news from those interviews, which actually we didn't get into the interview, because um, essentially... Oliver Wilson was sat alongside us, had a great question and f- didn't get us to ask it and then asked Alistair about it off mic. But he never said it was off the record. Uh, Ollie asked him about how close we were to getting the Raiders in London for their full eight game home season. Now, if you've been following the story post Super Bowl, uh, they look like they had a deal in place with the San Francisco Giants. The 49ers have stepped in and said, actually, like they have a protected territory area. The 49ers that comes under their protected territory. They've essentially said, no, you can't play your games there, which is leading to it more and more likely that if it's not played in a college stadium over the Oakland side of things like the Cow Bears Stadium, that it'll be in Levi's, which is the reason, like the 49ers, it's a business decision. Anyone who thinks, oh, that's a little bit petty, it's because they want the Raiders to bring their fan base and play at Levi's Stadium so they get 16 game days worth of revenue, not just eight game days worth of revenue. Exactly. Makes sense. Makes total sense. Totally get what they're doing there. But there was the conversation about whether they could come out and play in London. And Alistair exclusively revealed to us that they were very, very close to coming playing London, to the extent that the decision had gone all the way up to the commissioner level, that London had actually gone into a cost-benefit analysis, that NFL UK had looked into it, they'd figured out logistically how it would work, which stadiums they would play in, when they would play in terms of the season, how they would make it work in terms of a home road schedule. All of that stuff had been figured out, and they put a working proposal to the Raiders, and eventually the Davis family decided for footballing reasons they didn't want to do that to the team during a trans- what was already a transitional season, mm. have them play half of their games on a different continent. So what you're saying is, and what Alistair is saying, the Raiders kiboshed that idea. Yeah, they, they could have done it. 
Yeah, they absolutely could have done it, and they didn't end up doing it. So NFL UK had put together the, the entire plan, presented it to the NFL and the Oakland Raiders, and the Raiders said, no big here, not for me. And you can understand why. Yeah, 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 you can. Because if a team comes here permanently, and I do still believe that is the long-term plan, then there are arguments that for those things were, that will not just happen for one season, but for, say, the deal initially is a 10-year deal – that if the, that's going to happen over 10 years, the teething problems they have in year one, they will learn and they will grow from. The Raiders essentially didn't want to be the guinea pigs. They didn't want to be the ones who we road test that on so that it makes it smoother for another team because it puts them, at their mind, at a long-term disadvantage. Yeah. I mean, you could argue the Raiders in terms of, OK, they're going to go, they've got three first-round draft picks, but they're still very much in rebuilding mode. I suspect they're not going to be a great football team this coming year. That if a team could have probably afforded another year of it, and it would have been a nice little excuse, then that could have been a good reason. Yeah, uh, that would have been a great excuse for them. But uh, NFL owners and players are creatures of habit, and I can understand why they didn't do it. There have been two head coaching hires since the Super Bowl, which we just need to touch on briefly. Both were fully expected. Uh, Brian Flores, uh, the Patriots assistant, now becomes the Dolphins head coach. And he's already added Jim Caldwell, nice, experienced head, someone with head coaching experience, to his staff to both work on the defensive side and also be his assistant head coach. I mean, I love the Flores hire based on everything. I've never met or spoken to the man, but everything you've heard about him as an individual suggests that he has really scraped and worked and, and has earned his place in the head coaching tree. And then you combine that with that unbelievable game plan at Super Bowl 53 that himself and Bill Belichick initiated. And I know that Belichick will have been the architect and the guy pulling the strings. But the fact is, is Flores had to be out there calling the plays because Belichick has to be working with the quarterback, working with the offense. Like, he has to be able to trust that Flores can run that defense. They restricted the second highest scoring offense in the NFL to three points in the Super Bowl. And... During my time with the man flu, I went back and I watched the all 22 film like a nerd. Uh, I, you know, I still maintain that I think that it should have been a defensive player that won MVP. And uh, we specifically gave love uh, on the last podcast uh, to Stefan Gilmore. Stefan Gilmore and Kyle Van Noy was the other name we mentioned. Dante Hightower um, was mentioned by Matt Sherry as well. Was also a great shout. The way they played with like a six man front for most of that game and the way that those guys Van Noy and and, um, and Hightower were so working the edge working inside were just so movable pieces it was watching it again you just realised how genius it was so I'm excited for Flores in Miami I think that there has to be some realism what are they going to do at quarterback how strong is that roster in depth there's it's a it's still rebuilding and you've still got to be in the same division as the patriots but there's lots of reasons to be positive i think will he have more fortune than uh, the last guy to come out from that uh, defensive um uh, defensive what's the word defensive room room thank you it's three in three nineteen and a little <laughs> bang happy. bang uh, that defensive room in in pat matricia will he be more or less successful in his first in season? year one that's an interesting shout i think it could be about the same what did they have six wins seven six wins this season the lions i think so was it i think so it, they did the double over green bay anyway and 
I think I think Matt Patricia did a good job with what he had, and I think the talent level around the Miami Dolphins is about the same. Obviously, Detroit have a better quarterback. So. You you saw enough from them that they that you were excited. Well, six wins, by the way. Well done, us. Um, you saw enough from them that you were excited about the coaching job he could do. And it was very specifically, you look at, actually their performance over the Rams was a big part in why, I think that what they figured out about the way that you play the Rams up front had a huge part in why the Rams went and then lost to the Cowboys and Philly the next two weeks and, and still worked into Matt Patricia's game plan for the Lions had a huge influence, I believe, on the Patriots game plan mm. over the over the Rams. Yeah, something like that. Um, so I, they, there, have been, there were games last season. The win over the Patriots. You'd mentioned the double over the Packers. I thought the performance over the um, performance over the Panthers was particularly uh, particularly good. They, there were enough games last season to be excited. I could imagine it being about the same, but a real move in the right direction longer term. If Flores is a good team guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I think it's a really interesting hire. Really interesting hire. I'm less excited about Zach Taylor, the new head coach in Cincinnati. Now, don't get me wrong, the last time we saw somebody coming out of a a Super Bowl after a a tough ride was Matt Patricia, and he had a good season. So maybe Zach Taylor, after the horrific Jared Goff performance and what the offense put on the field, Goff missed some blatant throws. The one that we got so excited about, the Jason McCourty closing him down, re-watching that... Goff could have released that ball nearly a full two seconds earlier and would have hit him and it would have been a touchdown and would have changed the whole complexion of the game. So he did leave stuff, some stuff on the field, but also the offense didn't react quickly enough schematically to what the Patriots were putting in front of them. And I think that was disappointing. Yeah, they couldn't get the receivers open. They couldn't find those receivers. Didn't use Gurley enough. They didn't use Anderson in the right way. The tight ends were non-existent. They couldn't get anything going on offense, worryingly. But they were up against a seasoned pro, a seasoned set of pros in uh, in the New England Patriots. So you kind of you can understand what happened, but it nonetheless it's kind of worrying. I think that Goff still stayed confident, upright, all those positive things we said about him in his rookie season, and I still think he showed some good flashes in the couple of drives they had before the horrible inception. They really looked like they were going to do it then. To have that confidence late in the game after only scoring three points, there's some positives there, and you think the mental side and the quarterback coaching could be part of that. Dalton started last season really well. Yeah. And there were injuries across his offense. There was offensive line injuries. There was AJ Green. There was running backs going down. There was, you know, they really turned into a point where Joe Mixon was the only real worthwhile starter in their offense. But he was in and out as well, along with Gio Bernard. And when the two were together, their offense looked far more spunky. Look, and apparently Alex Van Pelt is sticking around. We had those, you know, that, that season with and looked good early on. So, if I'm going to talk myself into this being a good hire for the Bengals, it's a good hire for Andy Dalton specifically, possibly, maybe. I do have concern Ish. about it. Is it too much? The let's try and get ourselves a, a Sean McVay clone or someone who's worked with Sean McVay to do the same thing for us. Is that going to be enough for a franchise who? A kind of cleaning house at the moment, 
They've got a lot of ageing stars on the defensive side of the ball and are in what is looking like an, a potentially really tough AFC North. Well, I was going to say a really open AFC North. but t- Open, but tough. Yeah, because yeah, you you've got the Browns who, they're so resurgent, but they're such a new young team. You've got the Philadelphia, the Pittsburgh Steelers who are imploding, it seems, and then the Ravens who don't know what they are with Lamar Jackson. So perhaps now is the perfect time for a coach like Zach Taylor to come in with the Bengals, put his stamp on something and kind of sneak the division maybe. Uh, finally, really interesting on that division. I just wanted to mention one other story outside of the head coaching. You were talking about the Browns there and uh, really interesting comments on uh, last Thursday. Todd Munkin, the new offensive coordinator uh, in uh, in Cleveland, coming in and taking over from Kitchens, who's bumped up to head coach. And uh, and Steve Wilkes, who's coming obviously off his season with the Cardinals as the new defensive coordinator, both individually mentioned Baker Mayfield as an alpha male being a huge factor in why they chose Cleveland over other destinations. Both had other job offers on the table and chose Cleveland because of Baker Mayfield. I think that shows what an influence he has on that on that team, on that city, on that roster, on the coaching staff. And I think what a positive influence it will end up being. Heisman winner, number one draft pick. We saw the the complete sea change when he came in for Tyrod Taylor in that game against I think it was the Jets. Um, I think it was the Jets where he came in at halftime, turned things around. They won. All right. He didn't score a touchdown, but the it was night and day from Taylor to Mayfield. And the players obviously responded to him far more than they did to Tyrod Taylor. And that was shown throughout the season. So uh, only exciting things to come from Baker Mayfield. Do you know who he reminds me a little bit of? Andrew Luck. Mm -hmm. I know Andrew Luck had that stunning, superb first season, and Mayfield doesn't have that, but... I thought it was pretty good. Well, Andrew Luck took them to the playoffs, didn't he? Yeah, Andrew Luck. I mean, that that season is never going to be repeated because of the situations around it, because of the the cancer, because of Bruce Arians coming in, because of everything that that happened around that season. I don't think it was such a unique circumstance, but he's like... I see what you're saying with Luck, but it's just that that little bit of swagger, that little bit of edge to him. Mm. I think Luck is the Rather most... Rather than humble. Yeah, he's and, and don't get me wrong, I get the impression that Baker Mayfield can be very humble, but also I don't mind a quarterback being a bit of swagger. That's no, mm. I have no problem with that. Shall we get into our interviews? Yeah. We, uh, there's not really... There's nothing we need to react to and discuss off these. I think just we'd love to hear from you on them. At Gridiron on Twitter. I'm at Will Gaff. He's at Ollie Hunter. Get on, you know, the NFL UK Facebook page. Brilliant work the guys do there. Get on and involved on the Twitter. And, and let us know your thoughts on what you're going to hear. First of all, we'll hear from Troy Vincent, the uh, the Vice President of Football Operations. Where is that underneath Roger Goodell? It's pretty high up. It's He is... Right there on the on the second echelon. Yeah, exactly. And, wow. Uh, and I think particularly fascinating hearing from him in this interview when I asked how his role previously with the NFLPA will affect the CBA and has Goodell ever come to him for for advice on how to yeah, deal with the NFLPA? True. And he said no, but he thinks that's because Goodell respects him and wants him to allow him to have his NFL hat on, not his NFLPA hat on. So I think really, really interesting stuff from this interview. And then straight afterwards, we'll go into Alistair Kirkwood from NFL UK, the managing director, to get the latest on the UK scene. Lots here to digest, so... Please give it a listen. Let us know your thoughts. We've got 
so much content still to bring you from Atlanta. Loads of great former players, you know, Brian Dawkins, and we've got. Uh, I, why is that the only name that came to mind there with all the great people we interviewed? Morton Anderson. Oh, wasn't that great? We, there's loads of stuff to dig into, and we'll have that coming over the coming weeks. Plus, we'll have lots of other interviews we'll do. We've got the guys, people who are coming over in April for the tour they're going to be doing in Scotland and Ireland. We'll look to do some stuff there. So, there's still loads of great off season stuff to come. So, again, touch with us at Gridiron on Twitter. Ollie, I'm going to do it now rather than the end of the show any final thought i think this may be my final thought ever because i think we're going to replace it with a thimble from grimble <laughs> which makes far more sense and if at the end of the podcast we do get a thimble from grimble in time before we release it you're going to hear a thimble from grimble well thank you for listening and enjoy in a moment alistair kirkwood managing director of nfl uk but first troy vincent the executive vice president of football operations for the entire of the nfl so we're back on radio row our last interview of the week happens to be one of the best, one of the biggest, so we're delighted to say that coming on... I was going to go through all his playing career, you know, the five Pro Bowls and the time in Miami and Philadelphia and Buffalo, but now he's got himself into a high-ranking position in the league. He's the Executive Vice President of Football Operations, and he's joining us here on Radio Road. Troy Vincent, how are you doing, sir? It's been a packed week. <laughs> coming from, coming give from you one of those, yeah. Orlando, the Pro Bowl, <laughs> and now here in Atlanta getting ready for Super Bowl 53 and I can't wait for kickoffs. I've made the same journeys Troy I fail you buddy yes <laughs> now when we reach this point in the week for, for you guys and there's actually it feels like a, maybe the Saturday you can have a little bit of downtime before Sunday downtime no? <laughs> yeah, downtime what is downtime <laughs> it doesn't exist it doesn't exist it's like look at this fandom mm-hmm. and then you think making sure that the two participating teams have what they need and then all game day preparation, making sure the field, the technology was at the stadium early this week, making sure that from a safety standpoint, intercoms are working, bench areas the way that both clubs like them. So it's um, it's one of those weeks where you're, you, you're fine-tuning to making sure everything, not that during the regular season is not, but everything is perfect because you got so many eyeballs watching. Are you the one non-Patriots fan in this building who's delighted they're back for a ninth time in 18 years? Because you know what they're going to ask for. They ask for the same every year, and it makes your life much easier. Hey, listen. They're here. You know what to expect because they've been here so much. So you kind of have their itinerary. You just pull them back up, you know, year after year is the same thing. And maybe a couple new people. Um, but they're actually a pleasant. They're, 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 they're a club that, that you enjoy working with because they know what they want. And they are very specific, specific about... Um, things that they need and want to get done. I want people to know that I keep going to just adjust I think the level he's of it. Me a pound here. And Troy thinks he's going. I'm going to pound out. And that's fine. <laughs> I'm good with it every single time. That's great. <laughs> uh, what, what are the biggest challenges for you of, of this week of getting the teams here of getting this all put together? It's it's t- it's a new atmosphere for the Rams. So just getting everyone accustomed to making sure their practice facilities to and from where they want to practice, making sure that security. Uh, that the hotels are, or are in the, not the conditions, but set up the way they want it to be. Families are coming in, so just logistically making sure all the things are tied up, making sure that there's no um, no stone unturned. Every day there's um, football operations call, just working on process, process, contingency planning, talking about opening the dome. Okay, making sure, what's the time period? You start talking about 
anthem. Who's going to be on the field? Who's not going to be on the field? How are we moving guest on? How are we moving guest off? Halftime performance. Making sure that, hey, teams leave the field. Performance goes, get off, and get in the sideline, set up, ready to go again. So just thinking through all of those logistical things that must happen to make sure that the game is not affected. It's the most spectacular part of the week is the halftime bit. It's insane yeah, how the, quickly it can tur- they turn everything around. Having done the last four in stadium for the first time, seeing that whole operation is, is unbelievable. Now, what it's- I would say, working a game or halftime with a, in a dome that is AstroTurf, you remove like a logistical nightmare because of practice. They need to practice on the field. So when you do stage setup, you're tearing up the grass and you got to repaint, you got to resod. Because it's a dome and a synthetic turf, you don't have to go up. You don't have, that's one thing that you can take off the table for game preparation. So when you have a week as big as this coming up, how frustrating is it then that everyone wants to ask you, as we're about to, about officiating and reviewable calls and all that other side of things as well because anyone who's involved with the NFL everyone wants to know well what happened in that Saints Rams game how are we going to make sure that doesn't happen again no I embrace it because it's good for football and one thing that we have to do in our in our role is be great listeners we saw something that none of us uh, we want uh, we disliked and now we, we talk about solutions. What are possible solutions? So now this is like gathering of information. So you hear it from, what's the fan input around uh, officiating? What's the fan input around review? Same thing for the coach. Same thing for the player. So we're now gathering information. And in less than two weeks, we begin the process of just analyzing, reviewing, analyzing, reviewing. And then we'll see where we land. As these Super Bowls come and go, we get increasingly closer to another big landmark, which is the next CBA negotiations. How would you term, see conflicting reports and different things back and forth, how would you term the current relationship between the NFL and the players' union? And are you confident that you're in a place that when those negotiations come round, they can happen without lockouts and things like that? I'm confident in both leaders. I'm confident in Commissioner Goodell. I'm confident in Marie Smith. They understand what's at stake. And I'm, I, I truly believe that the two will, will sit down, as they have been. It's been work in progress, but they understand what's at stake, the game. And everyone's affected. So I have a tremendous co- uh, confidence in both uh, Roger and Dee um, that they'll get something done um, before anything happens about lockout and all of that other stuff. We don't want that. No one wants has, that. Nobody, absolutely nobody wants that. Has Commissioner Goodell in any way spoken to you about that process and that relationship, considering your past with the NFLPA and, and your involvement with them prior to being involved with the league? No, sir. And actually, that's one of the things that when I came on board, you know, commissioners always respected my role as a player, as a union rep, my relationship just through time he's always respected that i've never got a question about um what i think um he's respected you know that that part of my life and my relationship uh, it's a it's particularly important cba potentially for us as with our uk hat on because the feeling is that if a uk franchise is to happen it's something that would need to be collectively bargained at the moment is it 
part of the league's plan to, to raise that issue in in the next round of negotiations? I think, I think you, you have to talk about it because you, you know there's labor consequences that that could arise if not agreed upon by both parties. And look, think about just if what we've seen in our international series from not just the players but the fandom. Um, it's like a you go over there, still a big party. You know the games. Uh, uh, the the international market has embraced American football, and there's been talk about a franchise. We see players, international players, going back and forth. So um, I do believe that 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 both the union and management they understand what's at stake, um, and that also pertains what's at stake internationally. We're obviously at Super Bowl week. Um, immediately after this, we're going to see the first. Not rival league, but but different league. Spring league, the AF is is about to start next week, and then next year we're about to see the XFL start as well. Both have made clear. I've spoken to Oliver Luck and the, the guys at the AAF that they in no way see themselves as a rival. I think we're past those days. How does the NFL view those leagues in terms of? Do they see them as a positive? It keeps the football conversation going. Or, oh, I think it's extremely positive. Just it's more football. It's more opportunities. It's actually uh, it's opportunities for f- individuals at every level of football to be developed, every discipline to be developed. So this is good for football when you have spring leagues, summer leagues, other professional leagues. It's good for the game. Just to come back to, to the London point, Commissioner Goodell in his press conference this week discussed that he believed that London was ready that from a fan base and a facilities perspective, but not from a scheduling and fairness factor. Now, obviously... That's something that you know you are number involved one priority. In. So, what are you believe the biggest hurdles between a team being in London and not? We talk about travel. We talk about how coming to and from. Do you play back to back games? Do you have you know when when a team travels over? Um, do they should they get a bye week? So there's a lot of scheduling implications from a competitive standpoint right now when teams play in london for the most part you 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 come back and you or you play internationally you there's a buy um so you have to look at all of the factors so that you're not putting a club or a team in position where competitively they're at a disadvantage of playing multiple games away or multiple games there it's um all of these things have to be taken in, in context, but from a facility, grounds, fans, all of those things are in place. We've seen that year in and year out, what's being done there now. Those other logistical things from how many games should and shouldn't be played there are things that still need to be worked through. Alistair uh, Kirkwood, who we had on earlier, Mark Waller, a number of people, even Commissioner Goodell, a 2022 date has been discussed on a number of occasions. We are rapidly approaching that faster than any of us would like to engage with. Is that still a, a realistic timeline if there's going to be a team in London? I can only see this first week in February of 2019. <laughs> That's the most political and brilliant answer that you get. <laughs> I can't see beyond this week. How, how happy are the NFL uh, NFL UK are, are delighted with the growth in the UK and the growth internationally and in Europe and we're seeing players go up, come from um, domestic leagues or giving up other professional careers to try and make it in the NFL but how happy are 
the NFL, the head offices, you guys, with what's going on internationally in the UK? I've, just in my time, I've seen growth. I've seen true partnership. I've seen different le- different connectivity levels that says that, you know what, we um, American football has a global reach, but you need you need global partners, you need international partners to do so. When you have men, young men playing the game, young men coaching the game, um, from an international standpoint, young kids playing the game, have a true understanding of American football, it is good for the game, good for the sport. I, I was just going to ask, this is a real showcase for the last Ray location, you got the LA Rams in, in the Super Bowl. I did see a stat though that the AFC Championship game apparently outdrew the NFC Championship game in the LA market on TV ratings. Is that a concern for the league with a new team, or is it just something that you know it's a it's a long process of rebuilding those fan bases in LA? Process. And you think about that LA market, the number of sports franchises that are there, basketball, football, uh, it's a process, and we're learning. Can I ask you about um, the, the Rise event earlier this week, the town hall? Yesterday. Uh, uh, yesterday. <laughs> I, I, you, lo- you do. We all know. Everyone sat here knows you lose track of time. If you told me it was Wednesday today, I might believe you. Um, there, there was a, a kind of conversation that was brought up about how early the league heard players' concerns on things like uh, the anthem protest, on things like whether they were getting their voices heard. And, and there was the example of... of Ricardo Allen, the Atlanta Falcons safety, taking some taking some stick from people because now players were working with owners and with the teams and with the league as if that was a, a, a negative. So what have you made of that whole situation? Where we began and where we are today, we're working in conjunction. When I say we, there was so much learning through that process. And I think through the learning we found out that we had more in common than we had differences. It was a matter of how do we really address the differences that meets what both are looking for. That's player and that's ownership. Where we were 36 months ago, 24 months ago, and where we are today, we're literally working in a partnership. We're making a difference around areas of social justice, a very disciplined process. Uh, Ricardo Allen is one that has been um, working in conjunction here locally, with, with Arthur Blank in the foundation, in the local community making a difference. And we're seeing that in, in all 32 cities. Because uh, there's a, um, an example of, say, for example, when Eric Reed turns around and calls Malcolm Jenkins a sellout for taking, taking mo- not taking money from the league, but negotiating with the league and that raising those funds from the league as if that was a, a negative. In that situation, do you reach out to a player? Doesn't, I don't necessarily say that specific player but would you reach out to Eric Reed or whoever in that situation and try and explain to them why this is a positive for people involved I would say we take a position of to have social change resources are needed public policy public policy change is needed and media driving awareness is needed everyone has their opinion about what should or shouldn't be we believe that resources and working together um, we've been we've, we've talked to you know Eric was part of um, our discussions so it was a collective thought a bunch of different ideas and thoughts on the table 
um, but you need resources to move, uh, move communities. And I finally do want to bring it back to, I mentioned it at the top, but the officiating thing. When it comes to this year, there are two things in particular that people will want to know. Are plays going to become reviewable? And is there going to be an examination of the overtime rules? Is that, are those two things Absolutely. that the competition committee are going to look at? So proposals are beginning to come in from the clubs. Uh, a lot of talk with coaches. So two things that come to mind. Last offseason, what was it? This time, Super Bowl 52, what we were talking about, catch, no catch. You guys got to clean up the catch, no catch. And that was a process. You bring people in, you examine, you look at it, you talk, you come to a good place. Never talked about catch, no catch offseason. This particular offseason, and last year we actually talked about what should be reviewed, what shouldn't be reviewed. The same process this year is where will we land on what should coaches review, be able to challenge, and what should be reviewed. But again, the feedback from the fans, extremely important. Feedback from the player, extremely important. And then you get the clubs, the club proposals. I'd love to be a fly on the wall when the competition committee get together because the timing of having Sean Payton join that committee within two years this <laughs> happening is a wonderful thing for us as, uh, as journalists, I'm not going to lie. I want to ask a follow-up to that as it pertains to the game on Sunday. Last year, it felt like the catch-no-catch thing happened and then in the game, there were a couple of catches that based on the where the rules had been implemented over the season might have been overturned. I'm thinking that the Corey Clement one and the Ertz touchdown. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether there was a discussion internally prior to that game and whether that was something that actually happened, but if it was, is it something where we could see a kind of quick-fire decision to re-look at... Obviously, you can't change the rules on challenges, but has there been discussions about certain where things were called last week and will it impact the game on Sunday? No, sir. So going into Super Bowl 52 last year, rules were the rules going into the game. There was no previous discussion about calling that game any differently or having a different interpretation of a call going into Super Bowl 52 uh, no that did not that that discussion has not taken place and shouldn't be inappropriate to say that going into 52 these two the two clubs here the Rams and the Patriots are going in under the impression of things will be called the way they have been called all season I'm really delighted that we've been able to spend the time with Detroit. If you want to come to the competition committee, I am happy to invite you. We have many journalists to come and sit in that is on being, some of those. That, we'll make sure that I'll make sure that Sig here invites you in. Can I be invited? Hey, since since, since uh, I love you getting on video as well. <laughs> since, since Mr. Senora, as I will refer to him, was first coming out to the UK with the Giants, he's been nothing but brilliant to us. So while I have an opportunity to, if you have any, you know. This man is amazing. I just want you to know that. So we love him in the UK. Great man, does an excellent job. Exactly. Uh, Troy, thank you so much. And, well, hopefully I'll be seeing you at the competition committee then. <laughs> I'm, t I'm taking you up on that. Yeah. Good. Thank uh, you. Uh, Thanks for I, having me. Am I invited we only well, get one. We only, we, only, <laughs> we only get one. <laughs> uh, brilliant stuff. Thank you thank so you. much. So we're back on Radio Road. Delighted to say that joining us... Managing Director of NFL UK, Alistair Kirkwood. Alistair, you've just literally got into town this morning, so first impressions of Atlanta. We actually we saw you out here about 18 months or so ago, but it's very different being in a city when a Super Bowl's on. Yeah, it is very different. I mean, uh, we've got a good connection with Atlanta. Anyway, we've got a couple of British players um, with the Falcons. Uh, got great relationships with the ownership, and uh, we've also got a, a, a British coach um, that works on the defensive side as well. So loads of good reasons uh, to come over to Atlanta, but as you say, uh, this is this is hyped up. You know, the, 
it's I'm sure pretty much every interview that you ever ever do people say how big and how how expansive it is and how crazy it is and to a certain extent it's really difficult to to let the listeners kind of make that come to life mm -hmm. but um, I think the context that I would give is I've had uh, UK UK journalists who are not NFL fans tell me that um, this media event is three four times the size of World Cup mm -hmm. as an example in terms of scale and hype and it, it does feel we had literally we've got Cameron Lynch from the Buccaneers who's joining us this weekend asked us that question is there anything like this in, in soccer or in any other sport in rugby it's like absolutely not even at the World Cup where you do have all the media kind of tend to come and, and head to the host city they then get spread out across the country it's never anything to this sort of level and uh, yeah Atlanta so far pretty impressed with the job they're doing so we're, ha we're having a great time I, I guess we start off with the announcement of the last couple of weeks eight teams coming over mm -hmm. two teams for the first time in Carolina and Houston uh, exciting time to be an NFL UK fan yep 31 out of 32 teams so only upsetting the Packers at the moment uh, yep, I'm not talking to you <laughs> <laughs> that, that'll, no, make, I, I, that'll make this an easier interview <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've only got one more to go which um, if you told me that back in 2007 I wouldn't wouldn't have believed you so that, that's huge uh, we've got Spurs to look forward to as well as two games at Wembley so um, I think we've got a lot of star players as well mm -hmm. and we've got two or three teams with new head coaches so even if you think you know the team they're not they're not the team that that you think, right? So, Bruce Arians, Buccaneers is going to be very different. Um, I think the Bengals are going to be a very different um, uh, type of setup as well. Uh, and uh, excited to have the Panthers over with FA Obada. Mm -hmm. uh, Texans have one of the lowest um, fan numbers in, in the UK just because they're a, a relatively new team. But I think they're everybody's neutral neutral team in terms of they want to see them just because of the kind of players that are, that are out there and then you've got Khalil Mack uh, returning to Oakland via London <laughs> um, which, which in itself will be uh, a big story probably made the right decision having that game not in Oakland if they end up playing in Oakland at all of course that is uh, in terms of the just to get the logistical stuff out of the way the eight teams are announced, but as we've talked about before, increasingly as you have more teams over, more games, it's difficult to get the announcements about tickets, dates, stadiums, everything out of the way. So how close are we and, and when can people expect more information on, on that side of things? Uh, the latest will be middle of April when the schedule comes out. Um, it's really dependent on, dependent on how the overall schedule works. Uh, you've, got, you've got situations where each, each team has different demands and different, different requests both in terms of what they want to do the week before. So do they want to have a home game? Or do they want to, um, particularly if you're a West Coast team, do you want to actually um, play on the East Coast as, on, on, as a road game and then come over to the UK? So they put in those kind of requests to the schedulers and it's not, it's not that they'll get, get everything they ask for. Some teams will ask for a bye week the week after, some won't. Um, so the actual announcement of the games themselves is probably the easiest bit because we're then beholden to the overall schedule and how that fits in then you've got to take it to cbs fox and nfl network to get their agreement in terms of how that would fit in with uh, all the other games that are on uh, that weekend uh got to also negotiate 
um, with the league as to how many can be early games and how many uh, can be um, evening games. So I'm, I'm, I, I could go on with a longer, no, yeah, longer yeah. list. Longer. As you can imagine, Alistair, the question we get asked most around Radio Row as br- the British people who are here is, are oh, you going to have a team there? How does it all work? I, I, what's, at, your, I, what's your answer? I'm at the point where I'm just going to say, here's Alistair Kirkwood's number. He's the person who can answer these questions. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I actually want a better answer than the one that I give. So what's, what have you been saying? Uh, but the are... CBA in 2021 is a vital turning point. Until then, and nothing more can be I said. I can actually see you as a suit the way you said it. It was really <laughs> impressive. A lot of people ask us how big football is. And when we say the games sell out in a matter of days, you know, and that we've got the second biggest stadium in the NFL, we've got a stadium being built with NFL specification. Mm-hmm. They can't believe it. They, they, they actually don't believe and then they do because they believe us but these these journalists and I've had fans stop me today asking how big is it and when they hear how the British public and the rest of Europe has taken to the NFL they, they kind of get it and there is no animosity that we're taking games away away from them so I actually think people here have been really positive about the NFL coming over to the UK yeah I think I think the challenge is that um, unless you have a reason to come over during the season, you don't have first-hand experience. And because the games take place on a, on a Sunday when there are other games taking place, uh, it can sometimes get lost. Particularly if we have a game with two teams that are not particularly competitive in the league standings. You know, So we haven't had a, a Rams-Chiefs like, uh, like Mexico was supposed to have and, and things like that. We, um, so, so I understand why people don't necessarily get it, but, you know, you guys have done a great job through the season. Our Sky ratings are up again, 30% year on year. Uh, BBC numbers have, have increased again. So across the board, every single thing that we do, we're getting more fans and, and the sport is growing. Plus we're getting more, more and more British players in the NFL, which I think is another, another good barometer. Well, one, one thing that's fascinated me over the, this week is I've chatted to some people from the US who have come over to Britain for the first time and to hear their opinions I chatted to Ken Rogers from NFL Films yesterday who directed the Deion Sanders for 30 for 30 he was at the Jags Eagles game he came up to me unprompted yesterday and said you guys need a franchise that must be music to your ears because it just shows that even over the pond they're recognising the good work that's been done yeah the, the quote that I loved in the press conference around the Seattle game was uh, Pete Carroll saying I've been in football for 40-50 years or however long he, he said um, and he said uh, and I've been to loads of bowl, bowl games and that's like a bowl game a really big time bowl game and I just think from a from a from a authentic kind of compliment perspective actually putting us in that that area um, I was really really pleasantly uh, blown away by it if, if you need a player to give you a nice PR line to, to, to sell to other players etc speak to Wesley Woodard who was over with the Titans this year because he said to us yesterday there have only been three times in my life I've been blown away entering a stadium the first time I came out at mile high coming out of Super Bowl 48 and last year at Wembley yeah. and that is it is as much as some players can be negative about it in advance and losing teams who you have to take that with a pinch of salt have occasionally been negative for the players themselves it seems universally like they've had a positive experience well 
there's counters to it as well. I mean, there are players that uh, that really don't like the experience, um, not because of playing in London, but more. There are players that are absolute creatures of habit and love routine. Um, and when you get them to try and do something that they've never done before, it just puts them outside their comfort zone. There's also the, a handful of coaches who are really, really difficult and challenging in the months leading up to it because they actually see it as um, something that they have to n- now navigate against. Uh, but pretty much every coach that has has been concerned beforehand, whether they win or lose, come out the other side and... Uh, and say good things back to the other teams because I think that's the key thing. You wouldn't have 31 out of 32 teams coming over if word around around the league was you shouldn't be going there or it's it's disruptive for you. Um, the other thing that I would that I would say is um, I go back to I think 2009 when um, Patriots came over for the first time. Uh, Tom Brady said something um, in a press conference that. A was a really good insight and B was good enough that I then spent it probably the next nine, nine years re-quoting it um, which is that it's the closest from a player perspective to being at Super Bowl insofar as it's the only time through the season where the offense and the defense dine together socialize together because what people don't realize um, when they're not round teams is how uh, how much how much apartheid is, is kind of in place um, you know in, in terms of not just offense and defense but even different parts of the teams they just congregate and socialize amongst themselves in the build up in, in the build up to games whereas going over to London they, they fe- the Patriots felt that this was a way of actually rebonding and resetting the season um, when, and I've heard that a few times from other teams when since. you mentioned the, well, the Giants came and won the Super Bowl and yeah. they said it in their America's games how important that trip was well, so. I was going to say when you say about some coaches looking at it as something they need to navigate I think the best coaches would look at it as, as an opportunity I mean you see teams do this in the middle of the season sometimes on the west coast as well and, and I know Robert Kraft said on Sky he's desperate to get them back over as well which yeah. I guess is yeah. his music to your ears he also, well. he also said the same thing on TalkSport the other day as well okay. maybe just say he's it there <laughs> sorry I, I have no dog in this race so, um, <laughs> but the, the one there is a groundswell of people who Packers fans who will point out and you've said yourself you've been desperate to get them over from a marketing perspective to me from the outside looking in it feels like now they're the final team you know that at some point you will probably get them over that's going to be a pretty special occasion if and when it does happen yeah and, and certainly with only one team left that'll be something that we're keen on but if you actually look at it from a logistics perspective if you look at the five teams that are playing as home teams internationally this year the Packers are only on one schedule which is the Chargers who are playing in Mexico so, um, as much as I would have loved to have them, if the schedule doesn't actually allow, and they're just not on the list of teams to, to, to be opponents for home teams, you just can't make it happen. There have been three times in the last ten years where uh, I thought that we had them, um, but lost them um, each time. And Packers themselves are desperate to come over, which is, which is uh, great. But no, um, Not desperate enough to give up a home game at Lambeau Field, but and that's desperate to come over. Uh, it's absolutely understandable. Um, is it because, just on that point, we heard it with the Jags, that their, their biggest money from terms of gate receipts over the past 
seven years have all been Wembley games apart from that Packers game. Is that why it's so hard to get a team? Because they just draw so well. If they're if you've got the Packers coming to your stadium, you know you're going to. There's have probably a good there's crowd. probably about half the league that can't um, give up a game. Uh, either the stadium lease or arrangements with the city mean that they can't. Um, and there well, are some. A lot of fans don't understand that, do they? No, they, they don't know that point that a lot of teams physically cannot give up a game. No. No, um, but there are other mechanisms in place. So, for example, Tampa Bay's game against the Panthers is because uh, they've been awarded a Super Bowl. So, any team that gets Super Bowl awarded uh, to them have to, have to play a uh, London game within five years of, of of that being awarded. So, there's a few different mechanisms behind the scenes that you can utilise. Um, but you know, someone like the Steelers would not be able to give a a home game up um, irrespective of how rabid their fan base is and whether they'd want to anyway because of their arrangement with the city and what's actually involved there so um, so you just actually need to understand from, um, in my role what you can and can't do and then try and push the envelope where you can sure how um, how much of you know you know, I know that you're affected by what the schedule is saying but do you have specific games for what you want out of these games and over the games over the next few years in terms of we've done back-to-back games now would it be having a team come and do back-to-back games themselves are there other aims that you have that if they're going to prove that maybe a franchise would work that here is the groundwork we still need to we still need to lay yeah i've got happen. about probably seven or eight of those things um and in the last three or four years we've ticked ticked the box of at least one every year um there's always things that you can learn things that you can do slightly differently i mean this this past uh, season we did three games in a row um, which which gave some really good insights for us and you know what what we needed to work on and what we didn't and if you were to ever have a franchise almost certainly a team would have to play three home games in a row maybe in some cases four home games in a row so um, it's good to get a body of work and, and, and a better understanding of it um, but also do it in a way where it doesn't compromise the teams themselves so the teams need to feel that win or lose that um, the game has been settled because of their efforts and not because you know we're using it as some laboratory experiment and trying different things so so as long as we can try that without actually jeopardizing anything uh, then it's all good I just I finally want to ask about and then I'll let you get into it Matt just about the ticketing situation last year left a lot of fans unhappy I know that it's kind of something we've brought up previously it was so difficult because of what was happening with Spurs Stadium yeah. but is there a message you'd like to send out to those fans about what happened last year and, and what will be happening going forwards uh, when it comes to season tickets tickets with Tottenham everything else around that um, I think it'll be difficult this year as well <laughs> I think um, I think part of it part, part of the challenge is because we're, we're doing new things in new stadiums right so when we're trying to do things in the first place so I'll throw it out there without telling you what, what we're planning to do because we haven't made a final decision but um, Spurs is a smaller stadium than Wembley and uh, with the exception of Green Bay maybe 15 years ago there aren't many examples in the NFL of, of teams that play in two separate stadiums right so if you go and go online and buy a season ticket 
should you be buying it for all four games or should you be buying it for two at Spurs and two at Wembley because the seat will be slightly different and be a slightly different experience so whatever we end up deciding because of that kind of setup will be new and unique for us as well as the fans so there'll be some frustrations uh, just because we'll all learn together fans ultimately are good enough and patient and forgiving enough with us to actually realize that we ultimately want the right thing for the, for the fans but i think there will be some um, some some learning uh, curves from it and then the second thing is the demand is so crazy that an awful lot of the frustration not all of it but an awful lot of the frustration is is born from the fact that not everybody can get tickets mm-hmm. so um one thing that we are working hard on is because I know it's a a serious bugbear uh, and an understandable one is how you keep uh, trying to remove touts um, from it and how do you try and stop reselling wherever possible. We did that behind the scenes, reasonably successful. Um, we cancelled four thousand tickets last year uh, from from people that we could actually work out uh, were not buying it for the right reasons. That doesn't mean that we're 100% perfect, so we've got to keep, keep, um, keep improving on it. But. And I think the fact that you get some companies like Ticketmaster, etc., who are closing their own secondary sites makes a big difference as well because a lot of people's frustration is that they try and buy it somewhere and then it pops up again like through that same company yeah, as like yeah. an inflated price. And, and, and behind the scenes, we've been lobbying for those kind of things, right? And, so, and you just so. think someone like Ticketmaster, for them, where would be the incentive to stop touts because they're going to get the fees a second time yeah. through their own site. So I do think there are moves outside of what you can control that are, I think are going towards a direction that will make your job easier, hopefully. And then the other issue is um, season ticket discounts. Whilst they're a great fan service, sometimes they unintentionally encourage some people to buy in order to profiteer. And so you sit there and you try and work, work out... Um, how do you actually get the balance right and how do you service the fan as, as, as well as you can um, but I'm also going to be honest enough to say that um, this year will be a learning learning year for all of us so uh, I'm sure I'll be on two or three times <laughs> later this year saying the same stuff maybe just record this and play it back to me <laughs> I was saying that about with the Patriots in the Super Bowl so many interviews we did last year about Tom Brady's legacy we could just play again this year and no one would know the difference there you go yeah I, I'm just interested to know at the start, start of the interview, you broke down some of the matchups for next year. How frustrating is it when you put these games out and you do get criticism of the matchups when, you know, everybody said last year that the Eagles Jaguars game could be a Super Bowl preview, as it was one of those teams made the playoffs and they got in on, in week 17. It must be frustrating at times when you put all that effort into the matchups and it just feels like people have decided what the game's going to be like a year out no I, I, I actually don't really get frustrated to be honest by any of that stuff because because you're I'm, a better man than I am no, <laughs> no but I, I'm, I'm a fan as well right and also I'll, I'll do the same I'll do the armchair expert from other sports as well um, what it actually ultimately means is that people are more knowledgeable more passionate than they were a few years ago and so it's all good I mean I I have got um, most of my predictions around the London games wrong every year anyway um, <laughs> and I always cite back um, what was it 2013 or f- yeah I think 2013 we had Vikings and yeah. Steelers oh what a game that was but but they ca- both came in 0-3 having been in the playoffs the year before and they had so many star players 
and when we when we got that one at that moment in time I thought that's the best game we've ever been able to secure and I'm a rock star <laughs> and I, and I think are you not entertained? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it ludicrously did turn out to be a great game. Oh, yeah. The like, defensive stop on the final on the drive, Vikings, it was great. It was, uh, well, I think ultimately the fact that we play games up till, say, week 10, so anywhere between week 4 and week 10, um, means that a game, a game is still significant to any, any team. Um, there's still an opportunity to rescue your season or push on. And so um, you've not seen, we've seen some blowouts, we've seen some great competitive games, but you haven't actually seen a team that's kind of rolled over. Alistair, I wanted to ask you about the stadium situation. Mm -hmm. Um, We're hearing rumours here from various broadcasters from the towns where they have the teams that are coming over, where certain games will be played. I know there is. Can you tell me? (laughs) <laughs> the Bears reckon the, 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 the Bears game is going to be over in, in Wembley. Okay, they've got a 50-50 chance. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm convinced that that's the game you want to open Tottenham. And not from a logistical standpoint or anything else. Two great older franchises, two big fan bases, great for the game. I'd, lo- I'd love to have that first game at Spurs. Has really that would. been decided? What game goes where? And also, are you worried about... I mean, it's still not ready, the Tottenham Stadium. Are you worried about that at all? No, uh, no, I'm not worried about that at all. Um, I'm, I'm worried is the wrong word, but uh, I am, I'm very motivated to go through the experience of putting putting a game on at Spurs, right? Because when you, to a certain extent, uh, we know Wembley so well. Um, I'm not saying that everything's perfect, but you know Wembley so well that you can actually work out exactly what you're going to do whereas with Spurs how people come to the stadium um, what the travel times are going to be like uh, how people are going to enjoy the game beforehand what the atmosphere is going to be like during the game all of it's going to be new so so I get energised by, by how new that is uh, I'd say in terms of stadium confirmation probably behind the scenes it's 80-90% confirmed uh, there's still dependent on if a if the schedule has said we actually need X team to play in a certain week and the stadium is not available you know so let's say the Bears um, had to play in a certain certain week and Wembley's not available that week then the Bears are playing at Spurs so you're hoping I'm, I'm really now uncomfortable because <laughs> what you can yeah, actually yeah, do yeah. now is you can edit that one <laughs> sentence and actually say, oh, we got an exclusive. I don't understand in any way what you expect us to... I'd like, we are far more uh, moral than that, Alistair, oh, yeah, yeah, I promise yeah. you. No, but, but um, <laughs> we have a fairly good idea, but um, I'm long and old enough in the tooth to know that things will keep changing. I can't wait to see the, the, the grass pitch yeah. reveal an NFL field I just I can't wait to see the logistics I actually of it. want to be in there when I it happens I, want to I, be I imagine it'll happen if, in the if morning if you can arrange that for me please, <laughs> as a stadium geek that would be amazing well Thank we you. are planning to do something in the summer um, we're planning to do a, a big grassroots thing um, and hopefully that will be the first the first NFL event that we do um, and I'd like to think that we would lead that off by that 20-25 minute spectacle of taking the taking the uh, football field 
out and Honestly, it's, it's, revealing ours. It will be incredible. I like it when the ice, the icing machine goes around the, <laughs> the NFL, the NHL the hockey rink. I just love watching that. Such a loser. I'm so, Whoa, you. why are you being you so like this? The, the, I, I was going to ask though, playing an NFL game at the National Stadium has been an incredible feed and something that I imagine you're incredibly proud of but that moment when you see a, a stadium that has been adapted specifically for NFL football host a game with the locker rooms and with the field that must be that's going to be a pretty incredible moment yeah but to be honest they've, they've all been crazy moments I mean being the first non-rugby um, sport to ever play in Twickenham was an incredible moment and trying to adapt and learn to how you actually put on an NFL game in a stadium that's constructed completely differently to Wembley um, was was kind of both a real challenge and a real thrill. Uh, you're right, Spurs will be a, a crazy a crazy moment, but but I actually never get tired of Wembley. I honestly honestly don't because um, you you keep seeing different different things for every single game. So last year, I think the Seattle Oakland game. I was shocked by the number of Seattle fans mm-hmm. that, that came out. I was not shocked, but it was the Eagles were um, were well represented. I kind of expected that uh, from a lot of the stuff that we got out there. I, I, I got an email three weeks before the game from a uh, Philadelphia fan said, uh, uh, our fan club's desperate to come to the game. Uh, could you help us out with tickets? And I wrote back and said, I'm, I'm so sorry, the game's been sold out for quite a while said but uh, how many do you need we can always try and put you on a waiting list said 1200 <laughs> get, yourself, get, get yourselves organised I mean seriously so, what, what's your problem yeah. uh, Alistair just very very final thing because uh, we've had you for a long time and it's been excellent really appreciate it but uh, is there any news about any events coming up for around the draft around the summer you know you guys have, have done a great job of keeping NFL in the UK outside of the season have we got anything coming up that we're aware of that fans can start to get hyped about so I think I think the first thing that we're hyped about um, is see how our player pathway guys do so we've had some great success in the last few uh, few years with uh, F.E. Obada going to the Carolina Panthers we've had two players drafted and we're talking about players that have never played the sport at a professional level before um, got Christian Wade currently in the program. He's in his third week. He's wearing pads for the first time, and uh, without trying to talk him up too much because he's still got some ways to go. Really, really excited about how he's coming along. And if you look at look at film and you speak to coaches, which is probably more important than what I what I see, um, he looks like a bona fide player already. And so, so I think that's going to be really, really interesting because that whole idea you know if if we're all kind of going back in a time machine and you throw around crazy ideas having someone that has excelled at the top level of his sport to then come over and learn right from right from scratch and then make it that would be just thrilling and then the second second thing is um building on that we are uh looking at um establishing a an academy to um, to attract 16 to 19 year olds uh, to train them up in American football also to give them education and also provide them life skills as well so there'll be um, 
given great opportunities in life, kind of similar to um, how FA's done in Player Pathway. I think um, if we pull that off and we're we're working hard behind the, behind the scenes, that'll be a world first. That's something that's not available. It's obviously not needed in the US, but it's something that um, I've been passionate about for a couple of decades. This is something that ultimately our sport needs to take it to the next level. Because whilst games are brilliant and uh, radio and TV broadcasts continue to um, uh, grow fans and, and make us all more passionate, you actually need to develop more meaningful community programs. You need to actually give back and be and be something that can be 365 days a year. And and ultimately, you've got to give kids the opportunity of being able to play at the highest level, not through kind of luck or or circumstance, but actually by putting programs in place. So um, if we pull it off, it'll be probably the biggest thing that we've done outside of uh, international series games. And uh, uh, so watch this space. Would that be with a view to them going into US colleges and kind of for the for the for the really talented ones? Um, yes, doesn't necessarily mean that everybody can do that. Just in the same ways in the states. You could be great at high school, but not make it to college. Um, so, de- so success is not necessarily defined as that, but that would be one pathway. And we've uh, we've made sure that we've got NCAA compliance. So, so um, that's in the off season something that uh, we're trying to to pull off. And if we can do that, then uh, we'll have a lot more to talk about when I'm next on. A massive, massive thank you again to all those at the NFL for helping us with the interview with Troy Vincent, for NFL UK for getting us Alistair Kirkwood. We would love to hear from you on any of your thoughts on what you've heard on today's podcast at Gridiron on Twitter, at Will Gav, at Ollie Hunter. And do please go like, subscribe, follow us. We'll still have loads of great content coming in the off season. Really looking forward to hearing from you. Thank you so much for listening. This has been The Gridiron Show.